All right. Well, it's good to be here on another Tuesday. And this is our, I guess, third Tuesday of the of the month. And again, we have our Truth Seekers every first and third uh, Tuesday. And we also have a, a, a prayer time. It's specifically prayer time, but still um, praying for some of the um, larger issues uh, that, that uh, impact society um, every second Tuesday. So you're, of course, invited to come to, to any of those. And um, last week, or I guess two weeks ago, we really talked about um, kind of the, the idea of being the watchman, right? And, and we looked at some different scripture um, that, you know, whenever um, Ezekiel was called to be a watchman, and basically that was looking at what was happening in society and warning everyone, if you keep going down this path, bad things are going to happen, right? And, and we're not in a the exact same situation, um, but I think there's the, the church has, hasn't viewed itself as a watchman because we've had the benefit of living in a country that has been free and didn't really threaten uh, our, our freedom. Um, it was easy to be a Christian, and you didn't really think about the fact that, man, is there a way that this could you know, ever, ever come to an end? And I still think we're a long way from that, but I'm starting to now see very clear signs of how you could see that happen here because that happens in other countries, right? That, and that not in the past, but now. And, and so it's, it's vital for the church to, to be a watchman. And, and then it, it, it does become difficult. It's like, as the church, what issues do you want to tackle and what issues do you not? Right? And that, that's a hard one. So this one's going to kind of blur the line a little bit. I think it's something a little bit different, but I thought was kind of funny, but yet terrifying all at the same time. Um, because you know, the way that our culture handles things is very immature and very emotional. Um, the fact, and then you combine that with the fact that we don't seem to really value truth all that much. That can be really scary. Um, plus, I, I think we, we need to realize, and maybe we don't realize, that, that not everyone views society as, as most of us, kind of with a, what I would say a traditional American view, right, that is based in freedom, that, that values individual freedom, that values individual property rights, things like that, that are unique here. Not everyone sees things that way. And there's a lot of now, especially in this day and age, there's a lot of influence from different groups and organizations that are impacting our political rhetoric as well. And so, I, and, and the reason I think as the church we need to talk about this is because I believe that God desires for us to be free, right? I mean, the, 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 most prominent narrative in the Old Testament, right? The basis of the people of Israel was what? God bringing the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and helping them to establish a nation of their own that was, was freedom. And, and they were responsible for, uh, you know, kind of working to, together. They were responsible for the community, all of those things. And then as they fell further away from God, is when they started saying, no, now we want a king because we want to be like all the other nations. 
We want uh, the king to fight our battles for us, right? God still stuck with them, but things start to get really bad. And then you have passages like Ezekiel, where there needs to be a watchman saying, this is all going really bad, right? And eventually the people lost their freedom. And then Jesus enters into the picture um, when the people are under complete Roman uh, rule and authority, but, and he proclaims a freedom, but it's a spiritual freedom. So we can have that freedom no matter what, right? You can have that in an oppressive uh, uh, government situation. You can have that freedom. But I think that God desires for us to have both, right? The spiritual freedom and not be oppressed by the government. And it's actually the, uh, the, the Christian, the Judeo-Christian principles that over time, eventually, 2,000 years later, led to the founding of this country that recognized, you know what? God wants us to be free. He created us to be free. Maybe we should set up a system that facilitates that. Now, this is very simplistic, but I think it's, it, it, is, it is an accurate view of what God desires. Well, not everyone believes that. And I think this, what we're going to talk about tonight kind of shows a mentality that eventually will lead to not being free. <laughs> and and, and it, it starts off, and I will say, that before last week, I would have never have thought I would have used a topic on here or in any way revolving around gas stoves. I, I, does anyone have a gas stove here? Yes, over half, right? We, we are good people. We have an electric stove, so that makes us good. Um, we are much safer in our home than, uh, than the rest of you that you know have that evil gas. Okay, so... You, you may not know anything about this. If you don't, that's good for you, right? But if you are in social media at all or pay attention to some of the, the news, all of a sudden there was this big uh, conversation around gas stoves. And it started because uh, a guy by the name of Richard Trumpka, he's kind of the head of the Consumer Protection um, Safety Commission or something like that. Right? He's coming, he's talking about gas stoves and that there's some danger in gas stoves. In the past, uh, which we'll get to, it, that it's been related to climate change, that, you know, of what the gas emits. But this was not that. It was actually talking about how it looks like gas stoves are causing an increase in childhood asthma. And they actually had a specific number that there's a 12 uh, or nearly 13 percent of children with asthma. It's a result of uh, gas stoves in the house. Okay. Well, if that's if that's true, I mean, this is. I mean, I'm not dismissing the fact that we should look at gas stoves and are they beneficial? Are they good? Whatever. But what that started was really interesting because everything gets boiled down into right versus left, Republican versus Democrat, right, conservative versus liberal, and so the the liberal side came out. And we're like, yes, these gas stoves are dangerous. They're bad. And then there was also a louder voice really saying, wait, what are you talking about banning gas stoves? Because in the response, the guy said, we, need, we should look towards that possibility of banning gas stoves. So the people on the conservative side say, hey, this sounds a little crazy to me. Right? And then the people on the other side said, 
what are you doing? We're just saying we should take a look at it, that it's something, you know, that this could be a problem. But then conservatives start to look and you realize Washington state has already banned all new, like any building that you do in Washington state cannot be gas now. Last week, in response to all this, as all this is happening, the governor of New York said they are looking at being the first state on the East Coast to, to ban all gas in any new construction. Right? So all of a sudden, all of this, this stuff just starts happening immediately. And, and, and the, the left is saying the right is overreacting. The right is saying, um, wait, what do you mean we're overreacting? Look, people are doing this. Then this guy, Robert Trumpka, the White House, even walks it back because of all the, the stuff and, and trying to kind of, oh, well, let's just pretend none of this, this happened. Right? And it's just this weird, weird thing, which is, at the very least, a really bad way to run a society. Right? But, but what was interesting is you immediately had propositions for massive policy changes. Right? And, and whatever you think about gas, about energy, energy is essential for all of us to live. So if a government is seriously considering and is currently in some areas telling you that you cannot use that form of energy. That, that is a major violation of freedom, and there better be a lot of reasons why you, you can do that. And then what was interesting is this just kind of continued to spiral, and, and you, you see it in CNN and the New York Times and talking about all this stuff and, and saying, well, why, are you, why would you be against removing gas stoves if, if this is causing asthma in children? And all of this stuff. And said so the new research is showing all this. Those were, and then you start looking at it and you realize there actually has been no new research. It's a collection of research over the years that has been looked at again and come up with the possibility that this may cause asthma in children. However, you look at some of these things and it's, it's just really insane. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Illinois has a much higher share of gas sto stove ownership than Florida, right? But yet the asthma rate uh, in, is lower in Chicago than it is in Florida, right? So it's like, okay. Then there's some studies that show there could be an association with it. But then, of course, you throw in that the National Institute of Health is talking about asthma, says the exact cause of asthma is unknown, and the causes may be different from person to person. <laughs> okay, so we don't even know what the cause of asthma is, and yet all of these studies are all of a sudden claiming that 12% is causing asthma in children, even though we don't know what causes asthma in children, and it could be different. For, there's no way to measure all this stuff, right? So it's, it's all silliness. Until you start thinking they could choose to ban natural gas right? <laughs> or gas appliances, right? Just extremely. And then just to show the corruption of, of how, well, whether it's corruption or just the, uh, <laughs> the way that this can't sustain itself, you look at the New York Times, 
Now, you have to go back all the way to the year 2021. Now, that, so, so a lot has changed since 2021, but they, they write the, an article. If you've been spooked by the stories urging you to kill your gas stove because it poses hidden dangers that are bad for you and the planet, you don't actually need to freak out. Yes, it's a more environmentally conscious move to ditch your gas stove when it breaks or when you're renovating and to switch to one that runs on electricity. electricity. Ventilation is really important too. But the prov- provocative headlines that have cooked up a scare that we don't think is warrant we don't think is warranted because uh, chucking a gas range that works won't make much of a positive impact on the environment or on most people's health. That's New York Times. You can find I found the article. Um, in 2021. Now it has an editor's note as of last week. Editor's note. This article was originally published in 2021, and we are no longer updating it. Since then, additional research has emerged. Right there, that's a blatant lie. There has not been additional research. It's all the same stuff that they had in 2021. says, demonstrating the environmental and health impacts of gas stoves. Notably, a December 2022 uh, study found that 12.7% of childhood asthma cases could be attributed to gas stove use. In response to this and evidence of other potential risks from gas stoves, the Consumer Consumer Product Safety Commission stated in January of uh, 2023 that it is planning to strengthen voluntary safety standards on the new gas stoves. All right. So (laughs) it's just silliness that may impact all of our lives. <laughs> right? And, and so the, the reason I, I thought about talking about this is because we do need to recognize that there are influences out there. There are other ways of thinking of how the government should be involved in your life. And if you do a little bit more digging, you do find lots of articles like 2021 um, talking about the dangers of gas stoves. One of, you know, then there's quite a few far, you know, kind of, um, I don't know if you'd call them far left, but, um, you know, very green, um, climate friendly um, organizations that has written a lot of articles. But one organization that has written uh, many of these articles um, is uh, associated with the World Economic Forum. Now, <laughs> I know that by saying that, Sometimes people, you, you may be a conspiracy theorist. Um, in fact, there are articles right now just trying to paint anyone who questions the World Economic Forum as a conspiracy theorist. But I want to use them as an example because we have many officials that are over at this forum right now. Now, what is this forum? Does it have any real power? Technically, no, it does not. It cannot make pass a resolution and then we have to follow it, right? So it doesn't have that that kind of power, but it has a lot of influence. And I think about it as uh, in this way. Whenever I was a youth pastor um, at First Presbyterian Church in San Angelo, Texas, there's a, a large na- national youth group uh, called Youth Specialties. They had all kinds of resources, all kinds of things that you could use in your youth group. They were non-denominational. Anyone could could come and be part of it. It was a really good good thing. Every year, 
they had a national youth workers convention. And you would have people from all over come to these things. I went to one that was in Sacramento and uh, one that was somewhere else. I can't remember. But uh, you would have all different denominations, all of that, that kind of stuff. And you'd get all kinds of resources, speakers, everything. It was great, right? Um, did youth specialties have any power over First Presbyterian Church, San Angelo? No. Like, you know, whatever they said or did, technically, First Presbyterian Church wouldn't have to follow that at all. However, I was at that conference. I supported what they were saying. I learned strategies and ways to be a better youth pastor. And I came back to my home church and I implemented those things. So the World Economic Forum is the elite of the elites, right? It's been around for a while. And we have lots of officials and lots of officials across the world go to this and they hear all of this stuff. And then their goal is to obviously implement them, right? So should we at least know kind of the basic value system of something like this? I think the answer would be yes. And the reason I'm even getting into this is because I think this fuels the stupidity of talking about gas stoves, right? And because there are people who have a completely different view of the world. And thankfully, we still live in a country that we can push back on some of that stuff. Um, but we, we better wake up to it. And um, this is the theme and see if you, you see some problems with this theme of the World Economic Forum uh, Conference. It's a uh, cooperation in a fragmented world, which involves how we can tackle the numerous and interlinked challenges the world is facing and find solutions through public-private cooperation. Um, now, if you know the definition of fascism, it is public-private partnerships, that what ends up happening is the public, the government, basically starts telling the private what to do. So you have to be real careful jumping off into those waters. Um, but this is a, a clear um, agenda of, of this group of people. Now, what's interesting to me about this is I started looking um, Anyone who questions is starting to be kind of put into a camp of a conspiracy theorist. And there was a, uh, a meme that was going around the last year or two that would say, uh, you will own nothing and be happy about it. Right? And people would mock it and things like that. That came from the World Economic Forum. The, not the, one of the heads up, head guys of the Economic Forum, though, has been saying that is completely made up. We've never said anything like that. He, he is uh, defending. He says that was made up in a chat group called 4chan, which that's, that's kind of a white supremacist. You know, no one should take anything seriously that comes from 4chan. So he was saying that's where that meme came from. However, you, they, they have deleted this, by the way, but I read this article when it was on the website. Um, this, this is a picture of their headline. 
Welcome to 2030. I own nothing. I have no privacy and my life has never been better. Right? So that, that's their goal. That's their vision. And let's, we don't have to attribute evil motives to it, except, except that it is evil. But, um, but in their mind, it's to make things better. Okay, so I mean, I, I do get that, but it is a warped way of thinking. It is definitely not a traditional American way of thinking. And, um, and, and the fact that they scrub um, articles like this is, is very uh, interesting. Um, they also have a video that they changed the link to, so it's kind of harder to find. Um, and you, you just have to read along, but just just see if this fits with American values and, and then recognize we have numerous, like I think three senators, we have Congress people, we have governors. And by the way, they're a little shy right now because of some of the negative publicity. There's been more in the past, right? People are just now kind of waking up to this, but here's a video and it says eight predictions for the world in 2030. And this, this is their, it's not just predictions. This is their goals of what they want to to happen. Actually, may sign up for that. Again, that, that's nice music behind. It's real calming. Nothing could go wrong with those plans, right? unless you're a critical thinker. And <laughs> um, you, you realize there's, there's some potential danger there. And by the way, the only way that that happens is by government intervention, right? The government forcing that stuff to happen. Um, and, and that... That is extremely dangerous. Um, you know, not not only do I think some of those policies would, you know, by pursuing them would lead to the death of many people um, because we have to have energy, and 
you know, talking about just getting rid of that. And again, by 2030. So if, you know, and some people say, oh, no, this is just to motivate or whatever. No, no, no. Be realistic. If, if, you're, if you want to, people like me to buy in, say by 2050, 2060, that maybe be off of fossil fuels, maybe by that time we'll have something to replace it, right? But we, we are not equipped as a society to go backwards. It will cause mass chaos, right? And, and I think it's important for us to know, and, and I think it's important for the church to recognize this, um, because this type of mentality is what leads to governments doing very evil and horrific things. But you think we're doing it for the greater good, right? And, and this is not a new phenomenon. I want to close by reading um, from the farewell address of Dwight Eisenhower. And his farewell address is really interesting. Um, well, that would have been in the 50s, right? So he was, yeah, yeah, I think right at the end of the 50s. Um, so his farewell address, and he, he talked specifically about the uh, industrial military complex of how that's a dangerous thing, right? Um, that, that it can start changing the way your government moves. But he talks about some other things as well. It says, throughout America's adventure and free government, our basic purposes have been to keep the peace, foster progress and human achievement, enhance liberty, dignity, and integrity among people and among nations. To strive for less would be unworthy of a free and religious people. Any failure traceable to arrogance or our lack of comprehension or readiness to sacrifice would inflict upon us grievous hurt, both home and abroad. Crises will continue to be. In meeting them, whether foreign or domestic, great or small, there is recurring temptation to feel that some spectacular and costly action could become the miraculous solution to current difficulties. A huge increase in newer elements of our defense, development of un, uh, unrealistic programs to cure every ill in agriculture, a dramatic expansion in basic and applied research, uh, these and many other possibilities, each possibility promising in itself, may be suggested as the only way to the road we wish to travel. It says, but each proposal must be weighed in light of a broader consideration. The need to maintain balance in and among the national programs, balance between the private and the public economy. Right? He recognized the potential danger there. Balance between cost and hoped for advantage. Balance between clearly necessary and the comfortably desired. Balance between our essential requirements as a nation and the duties imposed by the nation upon the individual. Balance between action of the movement moment and the national welfare of the future. Good judgment seeks balance and progress. Lack of it eventually finds imbalance and frustration. Like all of a sudden, it's time to ban gas stoves. Right? Now, he talks about the military-industrial complex. I'm skipping a little bit of that. And it says, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex, the potential for disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only on an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. 
And this is interesting. He says, akin to and largely responsible for the sweeping changes in our industrial military posture has been the technological revolution during these recent decades. In this revolution, research has become central. It has also become more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for at the direction and by the direction of the federal government. Today, the solitary inventor tinkering in a shop has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. In the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research. Partly because of the huge cost involved, a a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. For every old blackboard, there are now hundreds of new electronic computers. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Yet in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite. It is the task of statementship to mold, to balance, to integrate these and other forces, new and old, within the principles of our democratic system, ever aiming towards the supreme goals of our free society. I, I find that interesting that that would have been said in the late 50s, um, and it it is hitting exactly what we're dealing with now. But does it feel like we're trying to find any balance? No, <laughs> it, it, it does not. Um, and that's, that's the danger. Um, and, and I think we need to be uh, aware of, of that. Um, it talks about the importance of a citizenry that is educated and is aware of what's going on. Um, well, we're we are not encouraged to be aware. Uh, in fact, um, you know, we're discouraged uh, from that. And, uh, and I, I do think this is uh, something as, as Christians we should care about because it can lead and it historically has led to persecution and ultimately it leads to death because of, of trying to, to do unrealistic utopian goals never works out well. So we're gonna gonna uh, end in there, um, and uh, no no real disturbing video. No, that was a pretty disturbing video. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I hope. Thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, look forward to seeing you again on the first Tuesday in February. We'll see you then. <laughs>